Tongue lyric saying all is well. Trick question, or not a trick question, pop quiz. What I kept reading and hearing was all is well because he's been born. There is nothing else, nothing else that can shatter our faith, our confidence, or our peace because he has come and he is coming back. So I love that song. Thank you, Elizabeth, for singing that. It's beautiful. At this time, our kids can head off to junior church. We have a lot of uh, sick folks that have not been able to be with us this morning, but so thankful for those that have stepped up to volunteer to fill in in different holes. I know Rebecca's filling in a hole right now in the nursery, and I believe Ginger and Elizabeth have filled in a hole in the junior church. And in this pray, there's been a lot of sickness going around. Uh, maybe good for you, maybe bad for you, but you got them back there, Caleb? You don't have them? No, I'm just kidding, Caleb. I have zero slides today. Is that a good thing or, oh, I heard a, oh, I have no slides. Is that a good thing over there? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Well, I do have about half a page of notes. So, no, this is, it's amazing. You know, the one thing about being able to uh, fill in is and talk to a couple other people in short notice is the fact that if anything, it's a good reason to stay in scripture, stay in prayer. To stay in just fellowship with God. And uh, when I uh, had been asked to fill in this morning, what? What do you want me to say? And so lately, me, uh, along with many of you all, have probably been reading the Christmas story. And so I do want to speak a little bit out of Matthew chapter number 1. Our passage is going to be Matthew chapter 1, verses 18 through 21. And I told the guys back there, since I don't really have notes and I move around a lot anyways, uh, if I had a Fitbit, I would get my Fitbit on and see how many steps I get by the time this message is over, but I don't have my Fitbit anymore because how many people are Fitbit people or the smartwatch people and track <laughs> just the Claytons, just the, yes, I am called, oh, in, in, in the wilds as well, okay. Two peas in a pod, huh? Two family peas in a pod. Pastor Cody's like, uh, sort of. You know, for me, the Fitbit, it, it, I've always felt tethered to it. I've always felt enslaved to it. It's like whenever my phone beeped, my watch rang, or my phone rang, my watch beeped, and I had to answer it right then and there, even if it was like nothing. And so I just felt entrapped, slaved. And so I ended up getting rid of the Fitbit. So, but I, I'm going to trust. Lincoln, can you count how many steps I take today? this morning. Would you be able to do that? You don't know? So, no, that's fine. So I do want to go ahead and read Matthew chapter 1 verses 18 through 21. We'll open up in prayer after that. And I want to talk about the purpose of Christmas as if most of us in here, if not all of us, don't already know. So in Matthew chapter 1 verse number 18, God says, now the birth of Jesus Christ was on the wise when as his mother Mary was a spouse to Joseph, being before they came together, she was found with the child of the Holy Ghost. Then Joseph, her husband, being a just man and not willing to make her a public example, was minded to put her away privily. But while he thought on these things, behold, the angel of the Lord appeared unto him in a dream, saying, Joseph, thou son of David, fear not to take unto thee Mary thy wife, for that which is conceived in her is of the Holy Ghost. 
And she shall bring forth a son, and thou shalt call his name Jesus, for he shall save his people from their sins. Let us pray. God, I thank you for this morning, the wonderful singing that we've done already, and just the message behind the songs as well. Like Elizabeth sang so beautifully, all is well because you have come. You have come to fulfill the prophecy of the Old Testament that you spoke of, to go ahead and, and live the life we couldn't live and die the death we deserve to die. And all is well for those that trust in you. And so God, this Christmas season, let us reflect and remember the purpose of Christmas. And let us remember as you came the first time, so again will you come the second time with the armies of heaven. So Lord, we look forward to that day. But while we wait, there is a purpose for us being here today. So we just pray that you would just be with Pastor Ken and all the illnesses going around the church family. And that you would just bless every ministry here as we seek to worship you in spirit and in truth. We ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen. So first thing I really have to deal with as an apologist is the fact in verse number 21, the angel says you will call his name Jesus. And so a lot of times the question will come up. If you go back to Isaiah, Isaiah 9 says you will call his name Emmanuel. So why doesn't the angel tell Mary and Joseph to call Jesus Emmanuel instead of Jesus? Well, it's probably the same way as Babe Ruth. Babe Ruth had a lot of different nicknames, if you will, and they were different titles for his characteristics, his traits, and just who he was. And so the same reason why we don't call Jesus Wonderful Counselor Prince of Peace as his personal name, those are all characteristics of who Christ is. And so the first thing just right, right, right out of the gates is the aspect of calling Jesus Jesus because of what it means. Jesus, Yeshua, simply means Jehovah is salvation. And as the angel says right here in verse number 21, call his name Jesus for because he will save his people from their sins. And so, like I said, I want to just speak very briefly on the purpose of Christmas and I want to look at three things that Jesus Christ has done for the entire world if the entire world so chooses to receive it. And the first thing is what's known as saving people from the penalty of sin. Saving people from the penalty of sin. Now, this word save, this word save gets a, a lot of misunderstanding, even within theological circles, and the fact on it's always used in reference to spiritual salvation, meaning that mankind in their fallen state is separated eternally from God, and that unless we have the remedy, look upon Christ and his sacrifice on the cross for our sins, we are eternally separated, and therefore we need salvation. So a lot of times it's used in reference to a spiritual salvation, but most often it is used in reference to physical salvation, physical deliverance as well. And I want to talk a little bit about that second part here momentarily. But the first aspect is the aspect that Jesus Christ's whole purpose of his first advent was to save people from their sins. It wasn't because of Jesus' sins. It wasn't because of Gabe's sins. It was because of our sins, right? And so I'm thankful for Gabe. Gabe stepped in at the very last moment again. He's another one. I still pick on him. A, lot. a long time ago, we were in the book of James. I created him a license to sin with his picture on it. And so I wonder, I need to make that for you, Gabe. But uh, Jesus Christ came to save his people from their sins. 
I just want to go over a couple of verses, and if you want, if you got your fingers nimble and you're ready to go, we're going to be going around in a few passages in the New Testament. And the first one, we're going to be in John chapter 3. John chapter 3, verse number 18. Let's see, John chapter 3, verse number 18. Jesus says, He that believeth on him is not condemned, but he that believeth not is condemned already. Why? Because he hath not believed in the name of of the only begotten Son of God. You see, the very first thing that Jesus does is delivers us from the penalty of sin in the fact that in the garden, many, many thousands of years ago, the serpent deceived Eve. Eve disobeyed the only commandment that ever existed at that time in the Garden of Eden. Don't eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Well, uh, there was a deception that involved, and not only did Eve eat, but she also gave to her husband Adam as well that was there with her. And because of that, sin entered into the world. And because of that sin that entered into the world, there was a breaking of relationship between Adam and Eve and God himself. That was an estrangement. That was the death that God had said, the moment you eat of it, you will surely die in that moment. So yes, we know that physical death is a result of sin, but we also know that spiritual death, that separation from God, is a result from disobeying that one commandment back in the Garden of Eden. And so at that moment, Adam and Eve were separated from God, spiritually. So you know the story where they tried to make fig leaves of aprons and cover their their nakedness up and their sin, their shame, and it wasn't good enough for God And uh, God had to provide a way. He had to make atonement himself for them and for their sins. Again, God provided the way to reconcile man back to himself. This is no different than 2,000 years ago when Jesus Christ came, born in the manger, and again lived a life of perfect obedience to the Mosaic law, fulfilling all 613 laws, being obedient to them, as well as being obedient to some of the oral law, And then in in light of perfect obedience, he died a death that he did not deserve to die. He died the death, he lived that perfect life because you and I deserve to be hung on that cross. You and I have committed that sins. Romans chapter 3 says, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. You see, not only that in John chapter 3, verse number 18, but if you were to go farther in John chapter 8, Jesus has some stern words to say to the unbelieving Jews. Jesus says in John 8, verse 24, I said therefore unto you that ye shall die in your sins. For if ye believe not that I am he, ye shall die in your sins. You see, we, we just recently had a, a wonderful outreach that Bob and Sharon had put together where we were just loving on the folks for the Prattville Parade and, and giving out some taco soup. Uh, we ran out of taco soup before the parade even began. That was, that was a blessing, but... Uh, we were able to talk to a lot of different people, make some connections, and, and it was just a wonderful time just loving on the folks in Prattville in Montgomery and other people that came out. But one of the things in getting into certain conversations with people was the topic of who is Jesus. And we've said it before, we've talked about it before, but that's the biggest question in life today. Who is Jesus? Is it the Jesus that the ODS Church teaches? Is it the Jesus that Jehovah's Witnesses teaches? Is it the Jesus that Islam teaches? Is it the Jesus that Buddhism or Hinduism or the New Age movement teaches with Christ consciousness? Who is Jesus? And because of what's known as laws of logic, we have what's known as the law of non-contradiction, which simply states that two opposing truths cannot be equally true at the same time. 
So if we were to take all these religions together and put them side by side and say, who is Jesus? The LDS religion teaches that Jesus is spirit brother Lucifer. Jehovah's Witness teaches that Jesus is none other than Michael the Archangel. Islam teaches that Jesus is the 24th prophet of Islam. Hinduism teaches that he's a reincarnation of Vishnu. Uh, Buddhism teaches he is a wise, uh, wise teacher who reached enlightenment. New Age movement teaches he's just a spiritual wise teacher that teaches, you know, they get Christ consciousness from. The Bible teaches that he is God. And when we put all these religions together, they all cannot be equally true. Either none of them are true or one of them is true. Who is Jesus? And for that simplistic answer is the fact on, I challenge any unbeliever to study the claims of the empty tomb. If you can come up with a reasonable explanation on why that tomb is physically empty that has not been already scrutinized by over a thousand years worth of criticism, I'm all ears. But whether it's the hallucination theory, the misplaced body theory, the stolen body theory, swoon theory, or any of these other theories which I call hypotheses, 2,000 years ago that tomb was empty. And there is no reasonable explanation on why that tomb was empty other than a supernatural, miraculous work of God. And if that's the case, and if Jesus Christ prophesied his death, burial, and resurrection, then we would do well to find out what else does Jesus have to say about himself. And with that, we've already read John chapter 3, verse number 18, that those that don't believe stand condemned simply because they don't believe on Jesus. Then we read in John chapter 8, where Jesus says that unless you believe that I am he, you will die in your sins. But I want you to turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and just see some beauty. I want you to see some beauty. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21. Paul writes, For he hath made him to be sin for us. So the Father made Christ to be sin for us. Christ, who knew no sin, why? That we might be made the righteousness of God. Ever since the Garden of Eden, there was no deserved expectation for Adam and Eve to have a spiritual reconciliation with God. But God loved them so much, he provided a way. 2,000 years ago, Christ provided that way as well on the cross. Because like I said in John chapter 3, whosoever believes has everlasting life. So the very first thing I want us to see as far as what is the purpose of Christmas and the reason why Jesus Christ came as a baby in a manger in a feeding trough wrapped in swaddling clothes, why was Christ born of flesh? That's because you and I could not fulfill the law. You and I could do nothing to merit our own righteousness. And therefore, Jesus Christ came to live the life you and I couldn't live, die the death you and I deserve to die. And that by looking at the cross and saying, Jesus Christ died the death that I deserve to die on that cross, and he paid my penalty of sin, Jesus Christ pays the penalty of sin, that by believing on his sacrifice, I can receive eternal life. Is belief in Jesus' sacrifice for your sins that grants everlasting life. That's the very first purpose of Christmas is the fact that he came as a baby to do all that, to deliver us from the penalty of sin. And like Elizabeth was saying, all is well. He came. All is well. 
Hallelujah. Hallelujah, meaning praise Yahweh. Praise God that he came. You see, not only that, not only does Christmas teach us that Jesus Christ pays the penalty of sin, but he delivers from the power of sin as well. He delivers us from the power of sin. If you were to look at John chapter 14, verse number 16, John 14, verse number 16, we read Jesus's words. He says, and I will pray the, pray the Father, and he shall give you another comforter that he may abide with you forever. See, Jesus Christ promised that once he ascended to heaven, after his resurrection, that he would send what's known as the comforter. In the Greek, it's the paraclete, and it means an advocate. In other words, the Holy Spirit came once Jesus Christ ascended up to heaven. And the Holy Spirit came in the day of Pentecost, and for any believer that puts their faith in Jesus Christ from that moment on, has the indwelling empowerment of the Holy Spirit within them. And because of that, we have the power over sin. We have power over sin. If we were to look at Romans chapter number 8, Romans chapter number 8, verses 6 through 8, Paul says this, Romans 8, 6 through 8, For to be carnally minded is death, but to be spiritually minded is life and peace. Because the carnal mind is enmity with God, for it is not subject to the law of God, neither indeed can be. So then they which are in the flesh cannot please God. You see, only the Christian has the ability to have power over sin. Only the Christian has the ability to gain victory over strongholds and things that keep us in bondage. Like my Fitbit that I always had to respond to and answer. Matter of fact, it's funny. Rebecca's not in here right now. But in her blue Honda CRV, uh, whenever we go ahead and park the car, little secret, Rebecca likes to take her seatbelt off before I turn the car off. Oh, I see some of those looks. Yep. So I parked the car, but before I hit the button, to turn, she likes to. T- and, and what happens is, is when she unbuckles her seatbelt, the car says, buckle passenger seatbelt. And so as the driver, what do I do? I, I go and buckle her seatbelt. Now she knows what I'm trying to do it, but she doesn't let me do it anymore. So, but it, it, it's been kind of funny, you know, we'll park, buckle passenger seatbelt. We're like, okay, Gail, I call my car Gail or her car Gail. GPS, Gail Platypus, that's her initials, that's her name. I'm like, okay, Gail. And then Rebecca doesn't want me listening to another woman, so I can't buckle the passenger seatbelt because Gail tells me. But anyways, uh, but it tells me to do this. So it's just a running joke. But see, I have the power to go ahead and buckle that seatbelt once I know that I should. And when we trust in Jesus Christ for salvation and we receive the indwelling of the Holy Spirit... The Holy Spirit enables us to overcome sin in the world. Now, unfortunately, you and I don't do this perfectly because we still sin on somewhat of a regular basis. I imagine this past week, everybody in here has probably had one wrong thought, one impure thought. Maybe most of us got cut off in traffic and and you wanted to just bless the individual in front of you and say, God bless you for cutting me off. I imagine this past week, all of us have done something. I see that look, what do you All of us have done something. 
But see, with the Holy Spirit, we have the enablement to overcome that. You see, Paul says this in Galatians chapter 5. Galatians chapter 5, verse number 16. If you don't believe me, let's see what the Word of God says. Paul says in Galatians 5, 16, This I say then, walk in the Spirit, and ye shall not fulfill the lusts of the flesh. Now, if you go a few verses down, Paul lists off what the lusts of the flesh are. And they're just sinful actions, evil things that, you know, people do. Even Christians do. And if you were to read through the list, I bet this month you probably committed at least one of those. But Paul says the key to not fulfilling the lusts of the flesh is to what? Walk in the Spirit. To walk. Not to run. Not to jog. Not to skip. But to walk. To take slow, methodical steps. Have anybody watched Monk? TV show Monk. Yeah, I, I find Monk kind of comical, you know, especially when he's trying to walk on stones and he doesn't want to step on cracks. He's very like precise and his feet are like all contorted. And But that's sort of that walk purposefully in your steps in the spirit and you will not fulfill the lusts of the flesh. And so part of the way of overcoming is to be abiding in Christ. John 15 principle Abide in me. Abide in the vine. For apart from me, you can do nothing. If we want to bear fruit, we have to abide in the vine. We have to remain in fellowship with Christ. So how does that happen? Well, it happens with a prayer life, a communication to God. Prayer is not just a mantra we say. Prayer is a dialogue we have. And prayer doesn't have to happen up here Tuesday mornings at 6 a.m., which we do need, and we're thankful for the men that come up here Tuesdays at 6. Prayer doesn't only have to be here at church on Sunday mornings, Sunday nights, and Wednesday nights. My, the most often time that I pray is when I'm driving. You know, just talking to God. And that is what prayer is. I imagine if you have friends, family, loved ones, and you just stop talking to them, your relationship's sort of going to get estranged. It's going to slowly break away. You know, you're going to separate, distance yourselves. The more you talk, the more you get to know each other. The more you know each other, the more you learn of each other and experience each other. So part of the way of abiding in Christ is to just communicate and dialogue and speak with God. The other aspect is to read his word. Jesus Christ says, if you love me, keep my commandments. Kind of difficult to keep something you don't know what it is, right? And so if, if we care to love Christ and to show that we love Christ as believers, we would do well to read the Scripture, the old and the new, because it's all relevant, and seek to obey the Scripture. Not for salvation, but because of salvation. And these are, way, these are ways we can walk in the Spirit, have this direct link. If we're struggling with someone, we can get a fellow brother or a fellow sister, and say, I'm struggling with this. Can you, can you pray for me? Can we pray together? Bear one another burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ, is what Paul says in Galatians chapter 6. And so those are various ways. But one of the biggest things, as far as our, our walk with Christ is for, one of the biggest purposes is so that people may see our good works and glorify our Father in heaven, right? And that's sort of what we tried to do uh, on Friday night at the Prattville Parade. You just love all folks. Not so that they could see us and our love for the community, but that they can see that Jesus' love is flowing through us for the community. And it's not anything we're doing, but it's the love Christ gives us. And when we walk in the Spirit and doing those things, it's a light to the world. 
And so with that, I want to just show a quick illustration. And so can I get the lights off? Kind of dark, huh? Remember the persecuted church uh, service we had? It, it is. It's pretty dark. So this, in essence, I should have brought my phone up here or a light because I can't see anything. But that's okay because it's a perfect illustration because this is what it's like in a dark world out there in Prattville, Alabama, and in the world. In the fact that there's nothing but sin and sinfulness and evilness and wickedness and lust of the flesh, lust of the eyes and the pride of life in everything that can entrap us. We are like, if you will, this Christmas tree. That we have the ability, we have lights on this Christmas tree. We have the ability to shine light in the darkness. But unless we're connected to the vine, we just stay as dark as this Christmas tree. And so what really needs to happen if we are going to shine a light for Christ, we need to plug into the outlet. By plugging our light, our life, into the outlet, which is the Holy Spirit, that is how we're able to illuminate the darkness. And you saw that the moment this was plugged in, the darkness fled. There's no darkness up here. Now, y'all are, a lot of y'all are in more darkness than others. I don't know what's going on with you guys back there. But up here, you can probably see me fairly well. And so this is a perfect illustration of the fact that as a Christian, we have lights. But if we're not connected to the power source, those lights are going to not be light, lighting. They're not going to illuminate the world. They're not going to shine. And so the only way to be a light for Christ is to abide in the vine. And so we could get the lights back on. And so I would ask all of us today, if we're Christians, are we connected to the power supply on a regular basis? Are we in prayer? Are we in study? Maybe you're called to fasting. Maybe it's disciple. Are we connected to the power source so that we can take the light and shine it in a dark and cold world? Because the third thing about Christmas, not only is it for the deliverance of the penalty of sin, not only is it for the deliverance of the power of sin, but it's also for the deliverance of the presence of sin, the presence of sin. And with that, I'd like to look at 1 Corinthians 15. And this is where, I guess, the rubber meets the road. 1 Corinthians 15, verses 52 through 55. In a moment... In the twinkling of an eye at the last trump, for the trumpet shall sound, and the dead shall be raised incorruptible, and we shall be changed. For this corruptible must put on incorruption, and this mortal must put on immortality. So when this corruptible shall have put on incorruption, and this mortal shall have put on immortality, then shall be brought to pass the saying that is written, Death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is your sting? O grave, where is thy victory? You see, one of the things as far as the deliverance from the presence of sin is that one day there's a beautiful teaching, doctrine, principle in Scripture that's revealed as the glorification of the body. And what that means is one day our bodies and our beings will be perfected. The fact that we will not be riddled with pains or struggles 
or vices that one day death will be no more. Peter says this in 2 Peter chapter number 3, 2 Peter chapter 3, verse number 13. Nevertheless, we, according to his promise, what do we do? We look. Are we looking for the new heavens and the new earth? Because what the Bible says is this new heavens and this new earth is where righteousness will dwell. And so, in the end times, after the tribulation period, Jesus Christ sets up the Messianic kingdom, and then afterwards in the eternal order, there is going to be eternal righteousness. There's going to be no more sin in that day. There's going to be no more death, no more sorrow. Revelation chapter 20, verse 4 says, there is no more death, sorrow, or pain, for the former things are passed away. One day, we will be delivered and saved from the presence of sin. That's why all this matters. That's why Jesus Christ matters when he came to be born 2,000 years ago. And the fact that his birth pays the penalty for the sins to make you and I reconcile back to God. But that only happens through faith in his shed blood for our sins. He delivers us from the penalty. He delivers us from the power of sin and the fact that if we tap into the Holy Spirit as a Christian, we can let our light shine. Let people see our good work so that they can glorify our Father in heaven and be a light of Christ. And then also deliver from the presence of sin. That with how many people are out today because of sickness, one day that sickness is no longer going to be. And we're all going to be healthy. In that eternal order after the messianic kingdom, in that eternal order when the new heavens and new earth is here, it's going to be perfect bliss. But the only way to see that day is to be delivered from the penalty of your sin. You see, what is the purpose of Christmas? purpose of Christmas for me is about the antidote. See, back in Genesis chapter 3, we were bitten by the snake. There's snake venom running in all of our veins. And unless we get the right antidote to heal us from the venom, we're going to die that second death that Revelation talks about. But the only antidote that's available is the antidote that's found in the blood of Christ. And that is the purpose of Christmas. You see, very brief message today. And so when we're going around shopping, we're going around getting all the presents, I haven't even bought Rebecca anything yet. She's a hard shopper. Granted, she has like 28 different things on the Amazon wish list, but Amazon, that's just not fun. You know, where's the days we used to go to the mall, not have to worry about getting shot, and then go ahead and buy stuff, you know? But you see, so when we're out, we're, we're buying our presents, we're spending time with family and friends. Too often, the world creeps into our psyche and we just forget. We just unintentionally forget what is all this about why do we celebrate christmas does it even matter if jesus christ was born on the 25th of december or 25th of march or april 17th does it even what is the purpose the purpose is because god saw a need to save you and i from our sins matthew chapter 1 verse number 21 
You will call his name Jesus because he will deliver you from your sins. For John 3, 16, for whosoever believes in him never perish, but have everlasting life. So this Christmas, it is my hope, desire, and prayer that for those that may not be saved to go ahead and look at the cross and find salvation. For those that are saved to realize you can be delivered from the power of sin by tapping in to the Spirit. And for all of us as a church body to have a forward focus, like Peter says, we look forward to the new heaven and new earth. We know this is coming, and it should affect us now. Who do you and I know in our, our realm of influence that don't know Christ? And if they were to die today, they'd be separated from God for eternity. So while looking forward, let us overcome the power so that we can deliver the message of deliverance from the penalty. Amen? Amen. God, I thank you just for this short, brief message as far as the purpose of Christmas. And Lord, we just pray that through all the hustle and the bustle and the busyness of the day, that we would spend some time to focus on what the true meaning is and the fact that you came and lived the life to die the death so that we could be made righteous. So Lord, I just pray that if there's anybody listening online that doesn't know you as Savior, that today would be the day of salvation for them. That all they would have to do is say, Jesus, I just thank you for dying on the cross for my sins and by believing in your sacrifice, I can receive everlasting life. So I pray for that. And for those Christians today that may be struggling with sin and vices or just worldliness, may we just be encouraged to tap into the Holy Spirit's power so that we can walk in the Spirit and not fulfill the lust of the flesh. So God, I thank you for this morning. And I pray you just uh, uh, give us clarity and guidance as we go this week. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Let's all stand.